What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I am your host, and my name is John, and this week we are back with episode 86, where we will be analyzing and predicting the UFC 245 pay-per-view going down this Saturday night, December 14, 2019, from Las Vegas, Nevada. This card features 13 fights, with the first three fights starting at 6.30 p.m., Eastern Time on UFC Fight Pass and ESPN Plus, with the next four fights starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2, and the main card featuring five fights on pay-per-view starting at the usual 10 p.m. Eastern Time. This is the last UFC card of 2019. It's been a great year breaking down each and every card with you guys. Hope you've enjoyed it as well. And we got ourselves a stacked card from top to bottom. I'm talking incredible fights on the prelims. Uh, the ESPN2 prelims has four incredible fights on it. And then the, the main card is just top to bottom. Uh, great fight after great fight, including three title fights. And honestly, all three of the title fights have pretty decent odds. Like, I mean, either anybody could win. We could see a new champion in all fights. We could see all three uh, champions retain. So uh, a lot of close odds on all these fights. And we're going to get into breaking down each and every matchup of uh, the 13 fights on this card. So we're going to start things off in the middleweight division with Puna Soriano, who is 6-0, taking on Oscar Pichota, who is 11-2-1. The opening betting line for this one was... Soriano minus 145 to Pachota plus 115. Right now we are seeing the line flip to Pachota minus 122, Soriano at plus 100. So uh, interesting line movement in this one here. People are um, betting the, the, the veteran uh, Pachota in this one instead of betting the, the newcomer off the contender series in Soriano. And I don't blame people for coming in on Pachota. This is a really close fight, nods indicated it. But I'm actually leaning a little bit more towards um, Soriano's way. I just think that Pachota has not shown enough uh impressive stuff in the octagon i think that he can uh deal with this this young gun in soriano uh soriano is you know far from from perfect fighter uh, he's a southpaw with a wrestling background, and he's got some power in his hands, but for the most part, his striking is just uh, marching forward, kind of winging punches. Um, he does have uh, you know, some other decent things he does on the feet, like he's got a nice left body kick, and he looks uh, to have some judo background as well. So he's got a vast array of takedowns, and he's definitely serviceable on the feet. Um, and he had a pretty good performance on the Tuesday Night Contender Series. Uh, meanwhile, Pachota is coming off of, uh, a few, I think, two losses, um, one being to... Um, Gerald Michart, and then the other two being to uh, Rodolfo Vieira, uh, both of those coming by way of submission. Um, you know, in the in the GM3 fight, he was out, out striking and uh, taking down GM3 early. He just gassed out in that fight, just could not keep up with the pace of GM3 and got uh, beat up and choked out in that one. And he uh, had some decent takedown defense versus Vieira early, but after maybe the second uh, takedown attempt from Vieira, Pachota was just getting taken down uh, over and over again and really couldn't get up. And that was against a high-level grappler in Vieira. Soriano is nowhere near the same caliber grappler, but I still do think he has the the wrestling ability to take Pachota down. Not really impressed with Pachota's gas tank. I don't think we've ever really seen him go uh, the full three rounds in the UFC. I could be wrong about that one, though. So, um, I understand the action coming in on Pachota, but I'm actually liking the plus money right now on Soriano. Uh, I don't think I'm going to bet this one because uh, there's just it's too much of a random fight. You know, both of these guys are kind of low skilled, and anything could happen in there. So I'm going to be passing on this first fight of the evening, and but the pick is going to be Soriano to win um, by decision. Let's go. 
The next fight takes place in the women's flyweight division. We have Jessica I, who is 14-7, taking on Vivi Arujo, who is 8-1. The opening betting line for this one was Arujo, minus 200, 2-I at plus 160. We are now seeing Arujo, minus 185, 2-I at plus 160. So I'm just going to call her Vivi instead of pronouncing her complicated last name. Um... It doesn't look too complicated when you look at it, but it just rolls off the tongue weird. Auto Ujo. Um, so I think that, you know, I've been really impressed with Arujo so far. Uh, I mean, her boxing is, is super slick. She's definitely one of uh, the most effective uh, boxers in the women's uh, UFC, honestly. But she's facing Jessica I, who, who's, who's, you know, she has a low stock right now because she's just coming off of that performance against Valentina Shevchenko where. She was bell to bell dominated and then eventually brutally knocked out with a head kick in round two of that fight. So uh, I definitely think that I is not getting as respected as she deserves. And uh, I think Arujo definitely has some weaknesses that can be exposed by I. I would say that I is no question the better uh, grappler and Arujo is no question the better striker. So it's going to be interesting, interesting to see how this fight plays out. But I honestly think that I is crafty enough. She's, you know, she's a veteran. She's fought, you know, the who's who of women. And I think that she uh, definitely has the experience advantage in this one. She has the cardio advantage. Arujo definitely uh, was feeling a little bit gassed out in her last fight versus Alexis Davis. And I think that I has the, the, the scrappy takedown ability and maybe an ability to get into the clinch, get a back take, and maybe get this fight into the grappling where she uh, should shine. Uh, and she does have uh, abilities to get fights to the floor. I mean, her fight versus Kalinja Faria was impressive, man. She ducked into the clinch in that one. She got a back take, and she, she won rounds in the grappling versus another experienced grappler in Faria. So initially uh, in this fight, I was thinking that it was going to be Arujo all day long. I mean, her boxing was so was so impressive and she's been she's been knocking girls out and looking really strong on the feet but i just think that uh, i is crafty enough to get this fight to the floor to get into the grappling to make it a, a scrappy type of fight and uh, make it a battle of cardio where i think i'm gonna favor i I'm going to uh, pick Arujo to maybe win round one. Definitely is going to outstrike I as long as the fight stays standing. And if I can't get the fight to the floor, she might get knocked out again because Arujo's punching power is no joke. But I actually favor Jessica I as the underdog to, to come in here, uh, get this fight to the floor, get it into uh, the grappling where she should shine and, and out grapple Arujo there. I don't think that she'll submit her. I just think that uh, I will pick up two rounds and I'm going to go with uh, I to win a 29-28 decision here. The next fight in the men's flyweight division, we have Brandon Marino, who is 15-5-1, taking on Kaikara France, who is 20-7. The opening betting line for this one was France, the favorite at minus 130 to Marino, plus 100. Right now, we are seeing France minus 160 to Marino, plus 140. So much more action coming in on uh, the favorite Kaikara France in this one. At one point, he was... Uh, uh, a pick'em in this fight. It was a, pretty much a pick'em when the line first opened, but you saw that late action come back on Kaikara France once the the limits opened up. And I think that's the right side. I mean, if you look at who's the more technical fighter of the two, no question it's Kaikara France. And if you really sit down and watch Brandon Marino's style, and it's funny because the dude is mad athletic. I mean, he has uh, he definitely has some uh, some skills that he can fight with, but he just doesn't do a lot of things uh, well. He he doesn't excel in any area of technique i mean he's scrappy he can scramble he can get out of a submission he can hit you with his own submission and he can throw powerful punches on the feet but he just very rarely 
considers technique and kind of wins fights based on his athleticism and his cardio. And that's what he really what he did versus Askarov because Askarov was no question the better technical fighter of the two t as well. But Marino just put a pace on him, was just a more physical fighter. And probably should have won that fight instead of that fight going to a decision. So, um, I, and uh, looking back on Kai Car France, his UFC tenure has not been overly impressive. I mean, he had a pretty close decision versus uh, Julian Paiva, uh, which he won. But I honestly thought Paiva won that fight uh, watching it. Uh, he picked up a nice decision over Elias Garcia and over Mark De, De La Rosa. But I think those are um, two of the lower level flyweights on the roster. No disrespect to them. They're, they're both solid fighters. But I just... Um, I think that the Marino is a step up from those two, honestly. So I'm picking Kaikar France to get the decision in this one. I think he should outbox him on the feet. I think he should be able to hit takedowns. He's not going to be able to keep uh, Marino down because Marino's scrambling ability is in incredible. He's just so hard to hold down. Even if you get like a back take on him or something like that, he's still hard to hold with the back take. So I don't see... Uh, I don't see Kaikar France using his grappling too much in this one. He'll probably just uh, use his takedown defense, keep the fight standing, avoid any big power punch or takedown attempt from Marino, and uh, an out technique uh, Marino on his way to a decision. So it's a close fight. It will be competitive, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that Kaikar France is the more skilled fighter of the two, and I think that he has what it takes to win this fight via decision, and I just don't think that Marino has the, the round-winning ability to beat a technical, uh, skilled fighter like Kaikar France. So I'm going to go with France to uh, win this one by decision. I'll go with 30-27. I'll pick him to win all three. Next fight takes place in the featherweight division. We have Daniel Tamer, who is seven and three, taking on Chase Hooper, who is eight zero and one. The opening betting line for this one was Hooper minus one fifty five to Tamer plus one twenty five. Right now, we are seeing Hooper minus one twenty to Tamer plus one hundred. So more action coming in on the dog Tamer side in this one. So this fight, I really think, really highlights how important studying tape is because. I, I watched Chase Hooper fight in Titan FC uh, a few months ago, and I, he beat um, Luis Gomez, tapped him out in the first round, and Gomez is actually a, good, a decent fighter, and I had a pretty high opinion of Hooper uh, after that fight, and then Daniel Tamer has had a pretty lackluster UFC career, I think he's 1-3 in, in the UFC, and has just looked really um, unimpressive throughout all four of those fights, but I rewatched some of their most recent fights, and it, it's clear that Chase Hooper is his striking is quite bad. I mean, if you watch his his uh, Tuesday Night Contender Series fight against Kawhi, it is seriously some of the ugliest striking I've ever seen. I mean, he's scared to get hit. He's flinching. He doesn't have any technique. He's throwing a lazy jab. He has no footwork. I mean, he's definitely made improvements. In his uh, fight in CFFC, it looked like he made some slight improvements in his striking. Nothing night and day, and I still don't think he's an effective striker, and I think that Tamer will outstrike Hooper quite easily on the feet um, I just realized that Hooper is, is not the value side this one I mean he's super young he's like 19 or 20 years old and he's first fight in the UFC and he's fighting a guy who is not the best you know one and three in the UFC has looked very unimpressive throughout but he's still Daniel Tamer is still the better fighter uh I'd say that Hooper has a massive advantage in the grappling. If he can take uh, Tamer down, I think he should be able to just win rounds in top position or possibly even submit Tamer. And if Tamer keeps the fight on the floor, he should outstrike Hooper and possibly knock out Hooper. So it's a really, um, it's a really black and white fight. If the fight stays standing, Tamer wins. If the fight goes to the floor, Hooper wins. But 
The biggest difference between the two is I think that Tamer is a better grappler than Hooper is a striker. So even if Hooper takes Tamer down, I favor uh, Tamer's chances of getting back up to his feet or uh, stopping the takedown completely. I favor his chances of doing that way higher than I do of Hooper's chances at somehow winning the striking. So I think that Hooper has very limited pass to victories in this one. He's going to need a takedown. He's going to need a, a dominant position like mount or a back take. While Tamer can win this fight standing, he can possibly even take down Hooper and put him on his back because Tamer in his last fight against Sung Bin Joe, he, he showed that he's been working on his grappling a lot. He took down Sung Bin Joe and that's just a really good fight you want to see out of Tamer. He's fighting a taller opponent, a young, tall, athletic guy and he, he dismantled Sun Bin Joe pretty easily in that fight, winning uh, pretty dominantly. So I actually think Tamer keeps this fight standing and eventually knocks out uh, Hooper in this one. So uh, there's definitely major value on Tamer at plus 100. I think he should be the favorite at around minus 150. So there's some big value on Tamer. And I expect the line to start going in Tamer's direction. So if I were you, I would lock in some action on the plus 100 on Tamer while you can still get that plus money next to his name. Because I think any day now, he's going to go into the, uh, the minus 120, minus 130 range and possibly even close fight night as that minus 150 favorite. So the pick is going to be Tamer to get the second round knockout. The next fight takes place in the welterweight division. We have Matt Brown, who is 21 and 16, taking on Ben Saunders, who is 22, 12 and 2. The opening betting line for this one was Matt Brown as the favorite at minus 350 to Ben Saunders as the plus 275 dog. Right now, we are seeing Brown minus 345, Saunders plus 285. So lines staying about the same. There is some two-way action coming in on this fight, and. You know what we're getting here. We got two grizzled veterans not really doing so well in their MMA careers lately. Uh, ben Saunders has been very active, actually, while Matt Brown is coming off of a, about a two-and-a-half-year layoff, I think, or just two years, sorry. He fought in November of 2017, and he did win that fight uh, via via knockout with, with an elbow over uh, Diego Sanchez. But before that, he had lost five of his last six fights and, and was definitely struggling and took some time off, maybe was contemplating retirement, but now he, he wants one more fight, and he's getting a, he's getting a winnable fight because he's fighting Ben Ben Saunders, another guy, another veteran who's struggling lately. He has lost five of his last six, and he's gotten knocked out in four of those uh, six fights. So definitely not what you want to see from, from Saunders. It's getting kind of rough to watch Saunders fight, man. I mean, he has no chin left. He can just get touched with a punch, and he goes down. But Matt Brown has huge issues with getting hurt to the body. I mean, if you watch Matt Brown's last 10 fights, I bet you he got hurt to the body in like eight or nine of them. And it's not its not a sustained attack. It's one shot, one body shot to the liver can almost shut Matt Brown down. Even Diego Sanchez hit him with a hard body kick that made him, made him pause for a second. So when you look at the odds in this fight, we're talking about a guy who's coming off of a two-year layoff, who has lost five of his last six fights, who is who is implied at, to win this fight at, a, at an almost 80% rate. That is just insane to me. I mean, I know I was talking about how Saunders gets knocked out easily, but it's not like Matt Brown is a huge power puncher. I mean, he did knock out Sanchez in his last fight, but that is not a consistent path to victory for him. And we're talking about Saunders, who is, is much more active. I mean, the dude is fighting multiple times uh, while while uh, Matt Brown has been has been doing whatever he's doing, uh, not fighting as at all. I mean, Ben Saunders has fought 
five times since Matt Brown has. So you really can't count, count Saunders out of this fight, even though he's plus 285. I honestly think Ben Saunders is no doubt about it worth a one unit value bet at plus 285 because he, he has potential to win this fight. I mean, he has a good clinch game. He has good submission skills. It's not going to be easy for Matt Brown to take uh, Saunders down, and I actually favor uh, Saunders if the fight goes to the floor. I think he does have the better jiu-jitsu of the two. So, I mean, you're really counting on Matt Brown to knock out Saunders before Saunders touches the liver of Brown. And I think with uh, from what I've seen of Saunders lately, he's he's a southpaw. He still is throwing his left body kick. He's still working the clinch and throwing some good knees in the clinch. As a matter of fact, the last time Ben Saunders won a fight is because he kneed Jake Ellenberger in the liver and, and finished him. So Ben Saunders has a very legitimate path to victory targeting the liver, and I honestly think he's going to do it. I think that Ben Saunders comes in here and probably stops Matt Brown in the first or second round, and it sounds crazy as him being a plus 285 underdog. I think the odds are so wide in this fight. I would honestly cap Matt Brown at like 60%, minus 150. So the fact that you can get... Uh, you know, Saunders at maybe, uh, what, 20, 22%, 23% is pretty crazy to me. So I'm picking uh, the old Killer B Saunders to get this fight done. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, another knee, knee to the body, uh, getting the knockout in the first round, similar to the Ellenberger fight. So the pick is going to be Saunders to win by first round knockout. And I got a one unit bet on him at plus 285. Uh, might, might actually have to add more because I'm sure that the line will start trending even heavier in. Um, Brown's directions once people start putting their parlays and then whatnot once they get to Vegas in the next few days. So keep an eye out for the lines there and look to add more to Saunders if you're already betting them. The next fight takes place in the middleweight division. We have Ian Heinish, who is 13-2, taking on Omari Akhmedov, who is 19-4-1. The opening betting line for this one was Heinish, the favorite, at minus 130 to Akhmedov, plus 100. Right now, we are seeing Heinish minus 135, Akhmedov plus 115. So initially, I was super high on Ian Heinish after his first two fights in the UFC, but unfortunately, I realized that he does not have the most uh, well-rounded uh, set of skills. And the, Ian Heinish, his takedown defense and his get-up game, his balance, is no doubt one of the best in, in the UFC. I mean, he fought two world-class black belts, and he outgrappled both of them he stuffed their takedowns he got on top position i mean it was just two incredible performances i honestly fell in love with the guy uh as a fighter um uh, after those two fights and now after that fight versus brunson you know i'm starting to realize that he's he's not as great as i once imagined because his striking is just it's just not very good i mean he comes forward and throws throws a lot of strikes he just doesn't have a very high output he doesn't have a good style for winning rounds he doesn't have particularly good striking technique and for the first time in the UFC, in the last fight versus Brunson, it looked like he had a bit of a cardio issue. I mean, his cardio in in the Mutanche fight and the Antonio Carlos Jr. fight was insane. I mean, to to stuff takedowns from a high-level grappler like that and just to be able to still be coming forward, I mean, those performances impressed me so much. And I think this is another good matchup for him because Akhmedov is, is you know what you're getting with him. I mean... He's a, a stocky guy. He does not have a very high output either. He has good takedowns, good takedown defense, comes from that Sambo background. He's a Dagestani or Russian dude, whatever. And he just doesn't have a high output. So as long as his fight stays on the feet, I mean, these... The, 
these two are going to be kind of trading ugly strikes back and forth at each other and neither of them have a high output i think akhmedov maybe has the slight striking technique advantage but at least Heinish comes forward. At least he's a little more aggressive, a little more active of the two. So uh, the way I think this fight goes is the first guy to attempt an offensive takedown will lose because both of their takedown defenses are great. Heinish's offensive wrestling is not that good. I'd rate Akhmedov's offensive wrestling better. But I mean, if Akhmedov tries to take Heinish down, I think he will fail and I think he will tire himself out. And I think if Heinish tries taking Akhmedov down, the same thing will happen to him. I mean, I think that's really why Heinish gassed in that Brunson fight is because he started, he tried offensive wrestling for the first time in the UFC. His first two fights, he was used to the guy shooting on him. All he had to do was defend the takedowns and he would likely win the fight. But he started losing the striking versus Brunson. He started shooting. The shots weren't working, and everything kind of went wrong for him in that fight. It was still pretty close, though, when it came down to it. I'd say, you know, it was like a 60-40 fight for Brunson. So, real close fight in this one. I'm going to lean with my boy, Heinish, because I think this one's going to come down to, to cardio. It's going to come down to um, maybe... It's one round apiece in round three, and you're going to have to favor that guy who has the better cardio, who's going to come forward and grind out those rounds. And from what I've seen of Heinish, he has the better grinding style. He he's, uh, has the better cardio of the two. And even though he didn't have the greatest performance last fight, I think that uh, I think that Heinish will win this one via decision. So the pick is going to be Ian Heinish to get this one done. The next fight takes place in the women's bantamweight division. We have Ketlin Vieira, who is undefeated at 10-0, taking on Irene Aldana, who is 11-5. The opening betting line for this one was Vieira, the favorite, at minus 245 to Aldana, the plus 195 underdog. Right now, we are seeing Vieira, minus 175 to Aldana, plus 155. Man, what a great fight. Uh, outside of the, the championships uh, being contested in the women's UFC, uh, this is one of the higher level fights I think we've ever seen. So I'm really excited to see Catlin Vieira come back after her long layoff. She came into the UFC in late 2016, picked up four victories, impressive wins too, and her last fight was in March of 2018, so I guess she's been dealing with some injuries or something and hasn't fought in around 21 months, but I'm sure she's been getting better since then, and she was already a really good fighter at that time, so I'm really excited to see the improvements that she's made, but... The reason why you're seeing that money come in on Aldana and make these line margins a little tighter is because Aldana's been fighting really actively. I mean, let's see how many... She's fought four times since uh, Fiera has fought, and she's gone 3-1 and one, uh, over those that period of time, and she's picked up some really good victories uh, in that span too. So I think that Aldana is probably improving at a faster rate than Vieira is just because Vieira is not fighting. But we could see Vieira just come out here and just showcase her, her full arsenal of skills um, that she's been working on and, and kind of saving up for the past uh, 20 months or so like that. So on the feet in this one, I think that, that Aldana should have a slight advantage, but n not a massive advantage. I mean, Vieira's her striking technique is very good. And Aldana, although she does have good straight punches, good boxing technique, she doesn't mix up her offense enough, and she throws too many of the same combinations where she, where her opponents can kind of start figuring her out. And I think it's happened in both of her last two fights. Uh, well, two of her most 
recent three fights, excuse me. So in the fight versus Betch Cohea, she won round one and lost round two and was actually kind of had a dodgy round three before finishing Betch in round three. So Betch started to timer, started to pick up on her tendencies and started winning the fight. Raquel Pennington started doing the same thing. Pennington, not a high level striker, but she was just counter punching Aldana because Aldana is just so predictable. So what I'm looking at in this fight is really going to be the takedowns because Vieira definitely thrives getting takedowns and working her top game because I think she might have one of the best top games in women's mixed martial arts. Right up there with uh, Shevchenko, honestly. So, uh, I mean, she just outgrappled Katzengano in her last fight, too, which is no easy feat. Um, stuffed takedowns to Zingano, got in top position, went for submission attempts. I mean, she mounted and submitted Sarah McMahon. She's a super high-level grappler. And... Aldana does have very good takedown defense. I mean, I think according to the UFCstats.com, I think she's got like 96% takedown defense or something like that. So it's it's really good. I mean, she's been working on it hard. Uh, all, of the, all of the women in her camp, like Alexa Grasso, that was their weakness. It, it was the takedowns, and they kind of recognized it, and now they're, they're working on it. So... Yeah, her takedown defense stands at 93%, but I mean, against uh, against Bernardo and against Mello and Pennington, not the highest level wrestlers. I mean, Vieira is going to be the best grappler that she's fought by a pretty wide margin, and we're probably going to see Vieira hit takedowns, get her top game going, probably look to pass guard and look for submission as well. And once the fight gets to the floor, I think that Vieira probably will start to suffocate Aldana, will get dominant position like a mount or a back take, and will probably submit her if the fight stays on the floor for long periods of time so it's going to be interesting to see how the striking matches up aldana is going to have the better timing the better accuracy because she's been so much more active probably going to take viera a few minutes to shake off the cobwebs and get back into the things so look for aldana to go out uh, to get an early lead maybe win the first few minutes of the fight maybe even the first round but then viera is probably going to settle in start getting her takedowns and get more comfortable and then eventually win this fight late so i think that aldana uh, is good enough to, to not get submitted not good, good enough to um, avoid being totally dominated on the canvas and i think that her takedown defense will probably present some problems for viera so I'm not betting Vieira at the minus 175 range. I actually think this fight is dog or pass. So I'd say the people who came in early on Aldana got a really good line. Where, where it's at now, I, I'm leaning more towards passing. But if I had to put a bet on the two of them, it probably would be Aldana. I think that uh, her activity and her takedown defense could present some problems for Vieira. And uh, the fight could get dicey if it stays on the feet uh, for a long periods of time for Vieira. She might get outstruck uh, by Aldana's boxing, her leg kicks and everything she uses on the feet so it's going to be a close fight really looking forward to it but i gotta lean with Vieira. i think she wins this one by decision possibly even again a submission but i think i lean decision so the pick is Vieira by decision the next fight takes place in the welterweight division the last fight on the prelims we got mike perry who is 13 and 5 taking on jeff neal who is 12 and 2 the opening betting line for this one was Neil, the favorite, at minus 155 to Perry, plus 125. Right now, we are seeing Neil minus 250 to Perry, plus 210. Man, this might be one of the best fights that has ever been on a UFC prelim. And them putting it right before the pay-per-view is such a smart move. I mean, these two are electric fighters. I mean, these guys are probably going to stand and bang on the feet. And both of them have massive power. I'd say Neil is the more power puncher of the two. And Neil is just a better striker. Uh, probably better well-rounded mixed martial arts in, in all areas. Uh, I mean, he, he showed off a few takedowns in his last fight. He showed some top control versus uh, Nico Price. 
Meanwhile, Perry has pretty notoriously struggled with with uh, takedowns. He, he's not a high-level grappler. And even on the feet, although he does have some good boxing technique, I mean, his, his striking and his boxing look great versus Vincente Luque. Uh, I supremely believe that he got robbed in that fight. I mean, I thought Mike Perry pretty clearly won rounds one and two. I mean, they were close rounds. They were they were competitive both of them but i mean i think perry clearly landed the harder better strikes in the first two rounds perry got his nose smashed with a flying knee and nose broken and uh, still survived in round three he should have won that decision but unfortunately the judges saw it the other way and anil's last fight against price i mean i think he he lowered his stock a little bit despite knocking price out in the second round i mean up until then neil had like an aura of invincibility about him i mean his striking looks so good i mean i didn't see him get hit once in his first three fights uh versus uh muhammad and also with uh, Kamozi and Camacho as well. Not really the highest level strikers, but I mean, Neil looks so good. He's a southpaw. He's got a fast left body kick. He can go high with it too. Knocked out uh, Camacho with that head kick. He's got a, a piston of a left hand. Seriously, one of the the most accurate and fast left hands or, or any punch we'll, we'll see in the sport. Jeff Neal's left hand is money, his boxing technique, he sees everything, and he's got a really good coach in um, Safe Sayud, and Neal really follows directions. I mean, he, he said, uh, I remember someone asked him, like, hey, wh what were you thinking about that knockout of Camacho? He said, I didn't think anything. Like, the coach just told me to throw something. Sent, they, they're yelling out codes, and Jeff Neal just responds like a soldier. So, there are some things in this fight that make me think that it pretty heavily favors uh, Jeff Neal. And Neal is the more uh, technical fighter of the two in pretty much all areas. And him being a southpaw is going to present some pretty difficult matchups or different difficult uh, problems for Mike Perry. If you watch Mike Perry fight Alan Joban, another southpaw, I mean, that was, I think, his first loss. And, I mean, he was completely schooled in that fight. He couldn't touch Joban. Joban, not really the highest level striker. He just implemented a really a strict game plan, stuck to it, and just completely out-techniqued, outstruck uh, Mike Perry for, for the entire fight. Perry couldn't touch him. So we're going to look to see a, a similar uh, a similar game plan from, from Jeff Neal in this one. He's going to look to use his, his southpaw advantage, uh, probably keep uh, Perry at range with his jab and his kicks, and try not to avoid too much, uh, try not to engage too much in, in exchanging on the feet. But man, that's hard for it, for Neal, because in that fight versus Price, he got in some wild exchanges, uh, and he looked like he got hurt a little bit, too. Uh, there were two times where it looked like Jeff Neal was a little bit hurt. One of the times was like a, a weird double knockdown headbutt, and another time it looked like he just got caught with a punch. So I think that even though Neil had a little bit of a shaky performance last fight against Price, he still got the victory. He looked a little beatable, though, for the first time. Perry coming off of a great performance. Uh, unfortunately, he did get his nose broken at the end of that fight. And that's another factor in this fight. I mean, you hate not to consider too much uh, like outside factors into the fight, but Mike Perry had his nose absolutely crooked. I mean, it was a 90-degree angle his nose was on his face four months ago on August 10th. Now he's fighting Jeff Neal, an extremely powerful puncher, just just four months and f like four days after he he got his nose completely broken like that. I mean, you gotta think that that nose could could be a potential problem in this fight. I mean, I'm sure he's sparring. I'm sure he's getting used to getting hit in the face by now. But I mean, that first couple punches on the nose from Jeff Neal, it could have a, a very serious reaction of, of Mike Perry. Personally, I think four months is way too soon to be coming back from that that vicious nose nose break that he suffered. So, uh, 
if these two banging out in the pocket, you gotta favor Mike Perry to to land the part the power punch. And to, I mean, his chin, Mike Perry's chin is also insane. I mean, we've rarely seen this guy hurt ever. I mean, I think he got dropped versus Max Griffin, but other than that, we've never really seen him hurt, knocked down, or unconscious or anything like that. So. Uh, I think that if, if these two are brawling, you got to favor Perry to for his chin to hold up and for him to be a little more comfortable in the pocket. But this is an MMA fight. They're probably going to implement their game plans, and you got to think that Safe Sayud and Jeff Neal are going to have a, a real strict game plan for, for Mike Perry here, and I, I see them executing it, honestly. So I think that Jeff Neal stays... Um, very safe in this one, doesn't engage in the pocket, and just picks Mike Perry apart from range and wins this one via decision. So the pick is going to be Jeff Neal to win by decision. The next fight, the first fight on the main card takes place in the Bantamweight division. We have Peter Yan, who is 13-1, taking on Uriah Faber, who is 35-10. The opening betting line for this one was Yan, the favorite at minus 265 to favor plus 185 right now we are seeing Jan minus 500 to favor plus 400 so heavy action coming in on Peter Jan and it is completely justified I just think that this is a pretty cruel matchup honestly for Uriah Faber I mean I think the dude is like 39 or 40 years old he did come back last fight and score a knockout victory over uh, Ricky Simone it was it was a great moment for him but I honestly think that it should have been one and done or he should have won that fight and maybe took an easier fight after that but they 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 gave him a tough opponent in Simone he handled him knocked him out in 45 seconds but Peter Jan is is one of the best fighters in the UFC right now. I mean, you, you might not know it, but I'm telling you, skill for skill, Peter Yan is up there with every single fighter in the UFC. His wrestling game, his, he can hit offensive takedowns. He has incredible takedown defense, scrambling ability, and his striking is really where he thrives. And this guy's boxing technique is some of the best in the UFC. The way he switches stances, he throws great kicks as well. But specifically his boxing is some of the best we've seen in honestly UFC history and he hasn't really gotten to show it off against two high level opponents yet I mean he's had some good fights that where he showcased his skills but I still don't think we've seen that marquee performance from Peter Yan yet I don't think we'll see it here either I think he'll probably uh, take care of Faber pretty easily stuff all the takedowns of Faber and really is a pickup Faber apart on the feet. We're going to see Jan's uh, massive technique advantage come through on the feet. And and despite any uh, or excluding any massive overhand right knockout like the punch that floored uh, Ricky Simone, I, I I do not see Uriah Faber winning this fight. Um, you know, I respect the dude a lot. He's he's a he's a great martial artist, a great guy in an inside outside the sport, but it, this matchup is just terrible for him. I mean, both of these next two fights we're talking about, we have um, you know old legends of the sport and Aldo and Faber taking on like the, the young bloods and Marais and Jan. And I honestly don't get the matchmaking at all. It makes no fucking sense, honestly. Uh, for uh, the the matchup should have been Aldo versus Faber and then Jan versus Marais. I mean, those are two way more intriguing and relevant matchups. But instead, they made two kind of lopsided matchups that no one is really too excited for. So huge mistake on the part of the UFC there. And uh, unfortunately, I think that Uriah Faber is in for a pretty long night. He's probably going to get outboxed uh, very badly and likely not get knocked out. Um, I don't think it'll be like a one-punch knockout or a TKO. I honestly think that Jan just puts so much damage on Faber that Faber's corner probably stops it after the first or second round. So the pick is going to be uh, Peter Jan to win by, uh, let's go with corner stoppage after round two. The next fight takes place in the Bantamweight division. We have 
Jose Aldo, who is 28-5, taking on Marlon Marais, who is 22-6-1. The opening and betting line for this one was Mar Marias minus 175, Aldo plus 135. Right now, we are seeing more action come in on Marias. He's now minus 225 to Aldo plus 185. So more action coming in on Marias in this one. I understand why. I mean, we have a natural bantamweight in Marias who just fought for the title, lost to Cejudo, versus a natural featherweight who is dropping down in weight after losing to Volkanovski. I mean, the, the, the move to 35 is very, very troubling from, from Jose Aldo. It's, I mean, it's pretty obvious he's chasing a UFC belt to, to retire on. He failed twice versus Holloway, and now he thinks that the best option is to drop down to 35 where the division is a little more open. You know, Cejudo is the champ, and who knows what will happen with the vacate, vacating the title and whatnot. So, I just don't like the move from Aldo. I mean, people have seen the pictures of him looking pretty sucked down. I'm sure he'll make the weight. I'm sure he'll make it to the cage. I just don't think he's going to be the same fighter he is at this weight class. I mean, how could he? I mean, he is just, he just looks so depleted. And I mean, this is a guy who has struggled with getting to 45 throughout his career. It looked like he struggled um, with his cardio in that Volkanovski fight. And it looked like... Uh, for his past few fights, his his output is just significantly dropping. I mean, in the the Stevens fight, in the Moiscano fight, in the Volkanovski fight, he just did barely threw enough strikes. Luckily, he got the knockout in the Stevens and the Moicano fight, but versus Volkanovski, I mean, he was neutralized in the clinch. He was pushed against the cage for really the first time in a long time I've seen that. Aldo just couldn't break the body lock. He just didn't have the physicality anymore for 45, and maybe that's partially why he retired, but or partially why he dropped down to 35, but I just don't like this move at all, especially versus Marlon Marias, a guy who just fought for the title, a guy who just knocked out um, a sun sal. He just knocked out Sterling. I mean, the dude is just on a hot streak, and they're they're throwing him. They're throwing Aldo in there right away. So, just based on on, on physicality alone, you got to give a big advantage to Marias in this one. He's going to have the higher output. He's probably going to pack more punch in, in his all of his strikes, and you just got to favor Marias in this one because he's going to have the higher output on the feet. Even though Aldo is the better technical striker of the two, I, I just have not seen enough impressive. Uh, output from Aldo that that's really what it comes down to even if he's the better technical fighter even if he could stuff Marais's takedowns and avoid the clinch and and has the better technique he's he has to throw to win the rounds and he just has not been throwing I mean his boxing defense is still there he has still great upper body movement he can still uh, avoid punches very well and he probably will be doing so versus Marais here he can check leg kicks very well still it's just he's not the same fighter he once was. He does not have uh, the, the the torque in his strikes that he once does, and it's kind of sad seeing Aldo uh, kind of uh, regress right in front of our eyes here. So I got to favor Marias to win this one, even though it's, it's going to break my heart to see Aldo lose. I, I think it's probably just a low-output decision. I think that both of them kind of will have too much respect for one another, You know, both Brazilian uh, you know, kind of legends of the sport, honestly. So they probably know known each other for, for years now, and they're going to come in here and just have a, a light sparring match. I mean, hopefully that's not the case. I mean, ho hopefully these two banging out and we can see we can see them go toe-to-toe uh, -to -toe on the feet. I just don't think that the matchup will play out like that. And we'll probably see Marias just slightly edge the rounds with a better output and a better effective striking. So I'm going to go with Marias to win this one by decision. The next fight takes place in the women's 
Bantamweight division for the UFC Women's Bantamweight Championship. We got champion Amanda Nunes, who is 18-4, taking on Jermaine Durandame, who is 9-3. The opening betting line for this fight was Nunes minus 303 to Jermaine Durandame at plus 225. Right now we are seeing Nunes minus 310 to GDR at plus 255. So line staying about the same. Nunez, 75% favorite, rightfully so. And I'll just say it flat out. I don't think any woman on earth can beat Amanda Nunez in a fight right now. She is just fighting at such a high level. And the way she has just dismantled Cyborg and, and beat uh, beat the shit out of Holly Holm and Raquel Pennington. And the list goes on and on. I mean, she is just beating high-level MMA fighter after another. And... Any weight, any woman, I, I don't see them beating them Nunez right now. And at, even though Jermaine Durandame is completely deserving of this title shot, she's definitely the number two band of weight in the world. These two fought uh, once back in 2013. And even back then, uh, Nunez won that fight pretty convincingly. She was able to take down uh, Jermaine off of a leg kick, was able to pass, was able to mount pretty quickly, and just smashed GDR from the top position and finished her in the first round with ground and pound. So, I mean, looking at the, how that fight went, it seemed like at that time, Nunez uh, thought the GDR was the better striker and decided to take this fight to the floor. But now fast forward five or six years later i think nunez is the better striker she's surpassed jermaine durandame and she's been the much more active fighter beating a high level competition meanwhile jermaine did pick up a nice decision victory over pennington she did score that quick knockout over aspen lad she just hasn't had the, nearly the the activity and has not fought the the level of competition that nunez has so uh Pure technique on the feet. I think Jermaine still has a little bit of an advantage, but Nunez just throws so much harder. She's more aggressive. She has better timing. She's got better fight IQ. And I mean, she she game plans very well. I mean, she had she knew what she wanted to do versus Holly Holm. She wanted to counter the uh, the oblique kicks with her own body kicks, and that's what she did. She was doing it right away. She trained it. She was prepared for it, and it didn't take her a few minutes to feel it out. Right away, she was already countering Holly Holm, and eventually uh, punted her head across the arena with a head kick, and getting you know one of the most impressive uh, women's finishes of all time, honestly. So uh, I'm just you know, such a fan of Amanda Nunez. She is just such a high-level fighter. She's got incredible striking. She can hit takedowns. She's got a great top game. That's really how she won the fight the, the first time her and Jermaine fought. I favor Nunez heavily on the ground, and I still even favor Nunez pretty heavily on the feet as well. So, Jermaine, her path to victory in this one is to keep the fight standing, to use her reach, to use her jab and her kicks and everything to keep this fight at the, uh, at range and not let Nunez get into the pocket where she can land her power punches. I just don't think it happens. Uh, I mean, Holm had no success whatsoever keeping Nunez at bay. Nunez was just countering her and picking her apart and eventually scored that knockout in the first round. So... Uh, I think that maybe GDR can have some success in the clinch. She might be the better clinch striker of the two. She does come from like a Muay Thai or kickboxing background and does, I think, cl clinch better of the two. But I just don't think that she'll be able to hold Nunes in the clinch for long. And this fight probably uh, ends via knockout for Amanda Nunes. I mean, you got to pick first round knockout for Nunes. I mean, she does it over and over again. Uh, she's done it to some of the best women's fighters in the entire world. So I don't, I don't see why she can't add another to that list. I'm going to go with Amanda Nunes to get the first round knockout. 
The next fight takes place in the featherweight division for the UFC featherweight championship. We got Max Holloway, who is 21-4, taking on Alexander Volkanovsky, who is 20-1. The opening betting line for this one was Holloway, the favorite, at minus 200 to Volkanovsky at plus 150. Right now, we are seeing Holloway minus 175 to Volkanovsky at plus 155. Line margins tightening up. I honestly expected them to. Uh, it is a close fight. Volkanovsky is a completely uh, worthy challenger. I've been really impressed from what I've seen with him lately. I mean, he, the guy can hit takedowns. He's got great top pressure and ground and pound. And his boxing technique is actually really good too. Uh, he can he can throw good leg kicks. He can clinch you. He has got good control uh, in the clinch. Like that's pretty much how he beat Aldo last fight. Just neutralized him in the clinch. Uh, threw a lot of knees to the thighs and just. I mean, just kind of stalled him out. It wasn't the most exciting or dominant performance from Volkanovski, but he did what he had to do. He neutralized Aldo, which very few people have been able to do throughout Aldo's career, and uh, left Brazil with the victory and got his title shot secured. Now now he's really going to show off his full uh, full arsenal of skills and the guy is i think really well-rounded probably the better well-rounded of the two just because uh volkanovsky has the better offensive wrestling game or offensive grappling uh, i mean holloway his game is to stuff takedowns and it's the box i mean he does he does it tremendously too i mean his takedown defense is elite he's gotten better and better over the years but in that last fight versus um frankie edgar i mean he got taken down once once i think but he also probably stuffed like eight or nine shots i mean it's gotten to the point where max holloway has some of the best takedown defense not only in the ufc right now but in the history of the sport so it's going to be hard for Volkanovski to get the takedowns. He's going to have to set them up very well, but he could do so. I mean, Volkanovski is a very smart fighter. His, his, his camp is another one. He game plans very well. He knew what he had to do versus Aldo. He didn't care that he was in Brazil and he was going to get booed out of the building. He executed that game plan perfectly, walked away with a flawless decision victory, and now I'm sure his coach has got a great game plan for Holloway. It's probably going to be to clinch him and take him down, similar to how they did Aldo. Um, the, the main difference between the two is I think that Volkanovski will probably attempt takedowns in this fight. I mean, he respected Aldo's takedown defense enough to not take him down, but I, I do think he will try to take Holloway down. And uh, I don't think he will be successful. I definitely don't think he'll get top position. I think the Holloway has the takedown defense and the scrambling ability, the, the get-ups to, to avoid all, getting on his back. But that's definitely going to be the best path to victory for Volkanovski is to get takedowns, to push uh, Holloway up against the fence, land good strikes in the clinch, maybe land some ground and pound on the ground. And that's really how Volkanovski has dominated most of his wins, like the Shane Young fight or the... Um, the Darren Elkins fight that that's where he he shined in those fights was in the against the cage in the clinch and on the floor so that's really uh, Volkanovski's best path to victory I don't see him having much success doing so so I think that the fight will will be contested at the striking range in the boxing range and there you just gotta favor the champion Max Holloway one of the best boxers the sport has ever seen uh, outbox Jose Aldo two times in a row put in a clinic on Ortega and Edgar uh, Dropped a close decision at lightweight to Dustin Poirier, but I mean, if you go back and watch that fight, that fight was still razor close despite Holloway giving up 10 pounds to Poirier. So I have been impressed with Volkanovski's boxing. His striking in general is really good. He's got crisp technique, but his defense in boxing is just not quite good enough for me. I mean, he got hurt and dropped by Aldo or by Mendez a few times last year. 
And, I mean, that was a, a Mendez uh, coming off a long layoff. I know he did beat Jury before that fight, but he was still pretty rusty and was able to give Volkanovski a, a bit of a tough fight. Definitely put him in some bad spots. He took his back for a second, but Volkanovski just had the way better cardio of the two. He escaped that back take and just landed really hard strikes on Mendez getting the finish in that one. So it was a great performance from Volkanovski. But in that fight, it showed that he... His takedown, his his own takedown defense is not very good. That's not going to be a factor in this fight at all. Almost zero chance that Holloway takes Volkanovski down. But you saw those defensive issues in Volkanovski, and a, an expert striker like Max Holloway is just going to pick those those tendencies apart, and is probably going to outbox Volkanovski. I think Volkanovski is tough enough to the to where he won't get finished. Although we have not seen him scheduled for the uh, the the 25 minutes yet, we have not seen him fight in rounds four and five. But the dude does have really good cardio, and I'm sure he'll be fully prepared to go the full five. I just don't think that uh, he will be able to compete with Holloway. I think it's a little bit too soon for for Volkanovski and I think the Holloway retains his title uh, in, in classic Max Holloway faction just putting on a, a clinic an, an output clinic just putting a cardio and a pace on Volkanovski that Volkanovski just cannot keep up with and I think that Volkanovski probably gets knocked out in the fourth or fifth round so I'm going to go with Max Holloway to get that fourth round TKO he's done it a few times before and I'm picking him to do it again so uh, Holloway with the late finish is my pick and then the main event of the evening in the welterweight division for the welterweight championship, we got Kamaru Usman, the champion, 15 and one, taking on Colby Covington, the interim champion, who was also 15 and one. The opening betting line for this one was Usman minus 300 to Colby Covington at plus 230. Since then, more action has come in on Covington. We are now seeing Usman minus 185 to Covington plus 160. So I actually disagree with the, the line movement on this one. I think that where Usman opened up minus 300 is, is dead accurate. I cap in minus 300 in this fight. Maybe even a little bit more. Maybe closer to, to minus 400. And as much as I, I like Colby Covington and respect him as a fighter and have seen the massive improvements he's made in his tenure in the UFC... This is just an awful, awful matchup for him because Covington's game is to pressure you, to put you against the cage, take you down, and to just put a pace on you. He has extremely high output, great cardio. He set a record the last fight for the most strikes ever attempted in the UFC fight. He averages like five or six takedowns every single 15 minutes. So um, he's got some of the best cardio in, in UFC history, honestly, but when it comes to this matchup, he's not going to be able to back Usman up to the cage because his his striking isn't powerful enough for Usman to respect it. He Co Covington does not throw powerful strikes at all, so it's going to be hard for him to back Usman up because Usman knows there's no threat of a hard strike hitting him. The next problem would be Usman's takedown defense. Covington is used to taking people down pretty much at will. He's got a great takedown, a great wrestling background, Division One wrestler versus Kamar Usman, who's a Division Two wrestler. And a lot of people are, are hearing that Division One versus Division Two and thinking, oh, Covington must be the better wrestler. That's not true. I mean, Covington has been wrestling since he was probably like three or four years old, and he did go to Division One. But Usman started wrestling in high school, I think, or maybe middle, late middle school or something like that. Immediately called on, excelled right away, got into the uh, Division Two, won a bunch of championships in Division Two, and even though there is that slight distinction between the two of them, 
I actually think that Usman probably has the better wrestling game of the two. He has certainly got the better defensive wrestling of the two. I mean, if you look at the the way that Covington was taken down by RDA, and I mean, Covington got taken down by Dong Hyun Kim a few years ago too. So I don't think Usman has really ever been taken down in the UFC. I, I'm going to double check that right now. But I mean, his takedown defense versus RDA was just terrific. I mean, the guy was a brick wall. Strength for strength, Kamaru Usman is the stronger fighter by far. Um, yeah, he's been he's been 100% takedown defense for Kamaru Usman. So Colby's going to be looking to push Usman back. Usman's not going to go back. Colby's going to be looking to take Usman down. Usman's not going to go down. And Colby's going to be looking to put that pace and that pressure on Usman to make him wilt. But Usman is not going to wilt. He has an incredible will. He has incredible cardio. He's, he's the stronger fighter of the two. And... I, and that is why I just favor Kamara Usman very heavily in this matchup. If the two are striking at range, Kamara Usman has more power in his punches. Really, in all of his all of his um, strikes, he he doesn't use his kicking game too much, but he does have a pretty good kicking game. He can throw good calf kicks and body kicks, and I think he was struggling with some knee injuries and foot injuries versus Woodley, so he didn't throw many kicks. But uh, we might see him use his kicking game a little bit in this fight. And pure wrestling, I pick Usman to to be the better wrestler. I think he stuffs takedowns. I think Usman hits his own takedowns. I think he could probably uh, keep top position. I mean, you saw the way Usman took down mounted Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley, one of the one of the best welterweights of all time, jiu-jitsu black belt, division one wrestler himself. Usman took him down, mounted him, and Woodley didn't move for three or four minutes. I mean, Usman ended the round in mount. Usman just absolutely bell-to-bell dominated Tyron Woodley. I mean, if you gave 100 points of that fight to one fighter, I would literally give 99 to Usman and maybe Woodley one point for like a one hard knee that he landed in like the third or fourth round. So, I mean, it was an absolute shilling, one of the most dominant performances ever. And that was Usman as a challenger. Now that he's got his belt, it's his to defend. It's his legacy to create. He has a huge grudge against Colby Covington. And he's just going to put on probably another incredible performance he's taken nine months off to heal up his injuries i think he had a broken foot he's had some knee injuries as well and i'm sure he's at full health now and i'm sure he's just ready to go so uh, i the, the way i see the fight going is uh, in the striking i see usman landing the better strikes it's going to be close in the striking because covington does have such high output but the, when it comes down to who's landing the cleaner harder shots i favor usman if Covington tries taking Usman down, I think Usman D's him up, uh, maybe reverses his position and hits his own takedown. And once they're on the floor, Usman is probably going to keep top position. I, I mean, Covington, I'm sure, does have great scrambling ability, him being a lifetime wrestler. But I was just so impressed with Kamara Usman's top control and his passing, his mounting ability versus Woodley. I think that Usman probably outgravels and passes, mounts Covington uh, on the floor as well here. So... And I keep seeing people say that Colby has the cardio advantage. And in pure terms of gas tank, I do think that he does have the advantage. But we've seen him having incredible cardio and pace in fights where he wasn't really tested. I mean, the Lawler fight was a walk in the park for him. Lawler didn't touch Covington the entire time. So when you see him landing 10 takedowns and, you know, 200 strikes or something like that, that was against pretty much, it's like him hitting the bag. I mean, that was nothing for Covington. 
when he fought RDA, a guy who gave him a little bit of trouble, a guy who landed more strikes than him, who was landing good strikes in the clinch, who landed his own takedowns. I mean, we saw Covington look a little humane. I mean, he lost round four of that fight. Definitely, he got taken down in round four, and uh, he did come back and win round five. But I think people are vastly overrating Covington's cardio when it comes to this fight because in the first three rounds, these are going to be the three hardest rounds of Covington's career. He's going to be using a lot of energy, a lot of muscle to get these takedowns. He's going to be using his own muscle and his own energy to defend takedowns, and he's going to be evenly matched in the striking at distance with Usman as well. So it should, I think Covington's going to be a lot more tired in rounds four and five than he was in his past few fights. So when it comes down to pure cardio of the two, I honestly think that, that Usman will have the advantage in rounds four and five because he's going to use his energy better. He's going to be the one winning the fight early and he's going to have some gas uh, to, left in the tank in those later rounds. While I, honestly, I think Covington is going to be uh, defending for his life, defending takedowns in, in the early rounds, trying to stay off of his back, trying to get back up to his feet. And we're going to see Covington actually look uh, like he has humane cardio for for once, um, once in his UFC career in rounds four and five. So, been talking about this fight a lot. It is a very close fight. I mean, the two are evenly matched. They're conceded. They're- they're perfectly deserving of fighting one another, but when you get down into the skill of the two, uh, I honestly do think that there is a pretty big advantage for Kamaru Usman. He's the better rounded, better well-rounded mixed martial artist. He's the better striker. He has the better striking defense. Uh, I think he has the better offensive and defensive wrestling game too, as well. Um, so. I was, I'll take that back. I'd say Covington has the better offensive wrestling game, but Covington doesn't, doesn't have good top control. He does not have traditional, uh, you know, grappling top control. He doesn't get mount or take your back. He kind of just rides you in really weird positions. Meanwhile, Usman utilizes, uh, traditional, uh, dominant positions on the ground, like the mount, like the side control. Like, uh, I never seen him take anybody's back, but Usman, I think, will will make his takedowns count more. He will get top position. He will outstrike Covington at range, and he will likely win this fight. I'm gonna go with 49-46. I'd say like, I'd say Usman wins rounds one, two, four, and five. Maybe Covington has a little bit of a, a second win uh, somewhere in between in the middle of the fight, picks up a round. But I think Usman will win this one uh, pretty confidently, honestly. So. Um, very happy this fight's going down. I've been a big fan of both of these guys. A few months back, I might have picked Covington in this one, but now I just I respected Kamara Usman so much more over the past year. That Tyron Woodley performance really uh, just cemented his his uh, position as the best welterweight in the world right now. And after seeing that fight, I don't think anybody has taken that belt off of his waist. So. I'm going with the Nigerian Nightmare to get the decision victory in this one. I'm going to go with 49-46. So hope you all have enjoyed the podcast. Hopefully I didn't uh, get off on too much of a tangent in those last three fights. I mean, when the fights are title fights, you, you want to give them their, their respect. You want to talk about them for five or six minutes because uh, they are between the two best fighters in the world. I mean, you look on Tapology right now, it is number one bantamweight in the world versus number two bantamweight in the world. Number one featherweight in the world versus two featherweight in the world. And number one welterweight versus number two welterweight. We're getting the best matchups humanly possible in MMA right now so you got to give uh, respect to these matchups you got to break them down from all angles so uh my apologies for for dwelling on these past three matchups for too long but 
I think it was worth it. So uh, this will be the last UFC uh, event of 2019, which will, means it'll be the last Martian MMA for 2019 as well, unless I decide to do some uh, podcast in the next few weeks, maybe like a recap for the year or something like that. That'll be to be determined. But once again, thanks to you for each and every person who listened to the Martian MMA podcast or gave me any type of support throughout the 2019 year. And I think we did like 40 or 41 podcasts throughout that time for every single UFC card. So uh, thank you all for for, for joining me in, in this episode hope you all enjoy the ufc 245 should be one of the best cards of the year you can catch my final bets over on my twitter page on my bet mma page as well uh check that out you were with all the links and the timestamps, and i will see you all in 2020 peace